Good morning, I'm Leland Brown, one of the pastors on staff here at East Cooper, and it is a joy to be with you here on this first Sunday of 2021, and particularly uh, to celebrate uh, the Lord's Supper with you as we start the new year. Um, I, I really believe the Lord's Supper is proof that God loves to teach us in many ways, that he, he delights sometimes in giving us uh, tangible, experiential, even visual uh, things to teach us. So for example, if you, uh, if you struggle to process what it means that the Lord Jesus welcomes you and that he satisfies you, the Lord's Supper is a meal. You're meant to experience Jesus welcoming you to eat with him. You're meant to experience uh, satisfaction in eating the elements. Uh, God, God delights to do that. And, and the reason I start there is because uh, our passage today um, in a similar way, the Lord's Supper is kind of a visual aid. Um, there's not propositional truth in this passage. It's just a picture. And it's meant to teach us in the way a picture is meant to teach us. So go to John 4. Uh, if you're not familiar with the Gospel of John, the, 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 the scriptures printed in your bulletin will be in John 4, um, verses 43 to 54. But if you're not familiar with the Gospel of John, he uh, gives seven signs through his Gospel. And these signs are historical miracles that really happen, but they are more than that. They are living pictures of who Jesus is and what it means to love and follow him. And the picture we get this morning is a picture of faith in Jesus. I think it's something we can learn, experience, and benefit from as we begin the year. Let's read the scriptures and I'll pray. John 4, uh, verses 43 to 54. After the two days, he departed for Galilee, his home area. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better and they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Let's pray. Lord, this morning we just thank you that you, you build your people up and you appear among them and you minister to them. And we just, right, right now as we come to this time, Lord, we, we trust that you're gonna meet us here. We trust that you're gonna minister to us here and we just plead uh, first sense of your presence. I pray, however we've come this morning, um, wherever we are, that you would build us up as we, uh, as we hear the scriptures. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Sometimes it's the smallest things that send you over the edge. For Corey Ten Boom, it was the fleas. She gets to her new home, 
She, she feels the sting of that first flea bite. She looks around, she sees fleas everywhere. And she looks at her sister named Betsy and she says, Betsy, how are we gonna live in such a place? And the second craziest thing about the story is that it took this long for Corrie ten Boom to break down because she was at Ravensbrück concentration camp, the infamous camp where the Nazis imprisoned and murdered over 100,000 women. And for the last several months, she and her sister, because they uh, were helping Jews escape from the Nazis and hiding them, they had been arrested, uh, they had been interrogated. Um, Corey and Bessie were stuffed on this train, one of those infamous trains with no food or water uh, for two days on their way to Ravensbrück. They get out, they're made to sleep outside in the winter, they're systematically humiliated on their way in. Somehow they smuggle a Bible in. They walk into the barracks and they realize it's gonna be stuffed, packed with people. They're gonna be eight or nine to a bed. She can smell her bedding and it's making her gag. But it's the fleas that send her over the edge. The craziest thing about this story though is how her sister Betsy responds. By the way, all of this is told in the fantastic book that you should read in 2021 called The Hiding Place. It's by Corey Tim Boom. It recounts all this. But uh, here's how Betsy responds to her sister's cry. She says, Lord, show us how we can live in this place. And she remembers the quiet time she had that morning from her smuggled in Bible, 1 Thessalonians 5, which, says, which she says has the answer because one of the verses says, give thanks in all circumstances. And so, Cor and so Betsy, in the way I assume that only an older sister can do, leads her little sister Corey in a prayer, thanking God for everything about their barracks, from the crowding to the smell, down to the fleas. Corey ends by saying, I was sure my sister was wrong to do that. Wrong, you might think she's crazy. Indeed, on its surface, thanking God for circumstances that would make any of us break down seems a little crazy. The question I'd like to address this morning is that kind of action, is that craziness or is that faith? And not just the kind of superstar faith reserved for you know, some people, but the heart, the faith that's at the heart of Christianity is looking at unspeakably horrific circumstances and only seeing bad, and yet hearing a word from God and responding not to what you see, but to what you hear from God. Is that crazy or is that faith? The passage this morning is gonna be a picture showing us that that indeed is living by faith. Before we get there, uh, we're gonna see a picture of where I tend to live more often, where you may tend to live a little more often. It's a picture of living by sight. So look at verse uh, 43 to 44. It's kind of a strange tension. Jesus goes back to his home area, Galilee. It was a section of Israel where Nazareth was, where he was from. And it says here in verse 44, the reason Jesus goes back to Nazareth or Galilee is because he has said a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So evidently he's going there to show that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. But then when he gets there in verse 45, he comes to Galilee and the Galileans welcome him. And so it's like, wait, 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 wait. It kind of looks like they're honoring Jesus. Uh, that actually is John's point. Uh, living by sight, what these Galileans are doing, it kind of looks like faith, but it's not the real thing. And the reason why we see in uh, the end of verse 45, it's that the reason they're welcoming Jesus, it's not because they've heard him. 
It's not because they've had a word, but it's because they saw what he did uh, at the feast. So that, that refers to the events of John 2 when Jesus comes in and cleanses the temple and turns over the money changers' tables. Evidently, this act showing that he was the Messiah who was entering the temple and bringing about this new age for God's people. And the people in Galilee were excited about this, man. They are ready for change. They are ready for God's Messiah to come overthrow the Romans. Jesus is doing some cool things, things they're excited about. But that's the only reason they show up. They welcome him. Living by sight demands sight. They wouldn't be here if they weren't seeing Jesus do cool things. They'd be gone. I have a two and a half year old son who was in this first service and very well behaved. I was shocked. The Lord is kind. But uh, he does this thing that brings me to the edge sometimes. Uh, he will sit in the car and he will very plainly tell me, daddy, I want a snack or something like that. And I, you know, in all my fatherly wisdom will reassure him, son, we're going to be home in five minutes. I would love to give you a snack. What do you want? He'll go, I want a snack. And he'll just keep yelling it at me. And eventually I'm like, no snacks for you. You know, like parenting, man, it, it has been great in 2020. I have been, I've apologized to my kids so many times. Anyways, um, but it's evident to me with him and with all my children, actually, that um, when they really want something and they don't have it immediately, my words are meaningless to them. I can tell them over and over again, I'll get you a snack. I'll get you a snack. We're five minutes away. We're there. They hear me. They're, they're not stupid. They understand. But until they have it in their hands, doesn't matter how many times I've given them a snack in the past. Doesn't matter how many times I've met their needs until it's in their hands and they're tasting it. Snack! You know? Um, that is at the heart of living by sight. When you will not trust and rest and obey until you see, until you have proof, until you see signs God is showing up, you're living by sight. Living by sight uh, kind of looks like faith, but it only shows up when Jesus is doing cool things and in fact demands that he do cool things before it will obey or stay. Um, you know what's gonna happen to these same kinds of people in just a little bit in the Gospel of John? Well, in a few chapters in John 6, Jesus is gonna give everybody lunch. He's gonna multiply loaves and fishes, give everybody lunch, so he's the new Moses, right? And uh, people are gonna start following him around, asking him to keep giving him lunch. And here's where he goes. He says, hey guys, no more lunch for y'all. Instead, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And I'm not gonna let you make me this political king that you want, I'm not doing that. And all of them, with the exception of the disciples, walk away. It made a lot of sense to follow Jesus when he was doing cool stuff. It made a lot of sense to follow Jesus when what he was saying makes sense. But the moment he says something that you can't fathom or demands something of you or doesn't meet your needs, and you're not in, you're living by sight. You know, the disciples are the ones who stay and Jesus asked them why they're not leaving. And they say, and Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Until you and I are so wrecked for Jesus and so wrecked for his words that there's nothing he can do or say to make us walk away. To a degree, we're living by sight. Let me put it this way. Let me get, let me get concrete here. 
if you trust that God's gonna provide for your family and you believe in generous giving, as long as your bank account is padded, you're living by sight. If you are happy to embrace and love a brother or sister in Christ who's different than you until they disagree with you about race or politics, you're living by sight. If you can't fathom admitting fault in an argument that is primarily someone else's fault and and restoring that, you're living by sight. Because in, in each of these situations, you have a word from God. God has said to you, he's promised to take care of you and provide for you. He's commanded you, encouraged you to give generously, period. Not when you can see how the next few months are gonna be. God's commanded us, not just to love fellow Christians, but to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. He's commanded those things. He's promised blessing in those things. And so all these behaviors of ours that have characterized this year so much, so much of it is that we are refusing to hear that word. We're just living by what's in front of us, by those visceral reactions we get from life. I just wanna clarify for a second, there's nothing inherently evil about sight. God gave us eyes, right? In fact, uh, so much of the scriptures are about God actually showing up in tangible ways. And, and some scriptures reflect on the ways God has shown up and re- reminds us, like Danny said in the Lord's Supper, to remember what God has done. Besides, so a good thing. The problem comes when the foundation for your Christian life, when the heart of your obedience to Jesus is, is sight, when you can't fathom walking with Jesus into the dark because he promised to be with you. When your faith is pragmatic, practical, primarily sensible, you're living by sight. And church, as we're gathered here on this first Sunday of 2021, kind of this built-in time, I think, God gives us to look back on a previous year and look forward to the next. I would like to say, I'd like to argue that if there is one thing you and I could learn from the roller coaster that was 2020, is that we are very prone to live by sight. Haven't you been swept up a little bit in all the panic and all the fury and all the worry that has defined this year? I know some of y'all went hunting for toilet paper, right? I did too, okay, just confession time. I went hunting too. Um, I know many of you could not stop checking election results during that week in November, (laughs) kept up at night. I'm not saying 2020 hasn't been hard. I'm not saying some of you haven't suffered deeply, but hard things are often very revealing things. And I think this year has revealed so often, so much, we live by sight. If you can admit that, you can take a step towards faith today. Let's see what it looks like. The second part of our story gives us a picture of living by faith. The first thing we see about living by faith is that it begins with coming to Jesus, however you are. Notice uh, we meet this guy from Capernaum. Look at verse 46. Jesus comes to Canaan Galilee, and at Capernaum there is an official, likely a high-ranking Jew, respected in the community, should get the Messiah, right? His son is ill. And this man hears 
that Jesus uh, is present in Cana. He's heard about all the signs and cool things going on. And so he comes down with this desperate need uh, to ask Jesus to heal his son. And just step back. If you want to feel more of the story, I think you somehow got to get in the shoes of a parent whose child is in critical condition and the doctors have no idea what to do. That's where this guy is. All right. You should feel, you should feel compassion for him. All right. Um, but he gets to Jesus and Jesus' response to him shows us he doesn't really care about this whole Messiah thing. He doesn't really care about Jesus' person and work. Like, he's just here for his son. Look what Jesus says, verse, uh, verse 48. Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. A couple things about this verse. The you here is plural. So Charleston translation, y'all. Unless y'all see signs and wonders. And the not believe here is a double negative. So translation, like, like Unless y'all see signs and wonders, you'll never believe. Jesus is kind of getting in this guy's face a little bit. He's getting in this community's face. And what he's saying to them, they listen, come to me because you think I can do cool things for you. That's not faith. And what I'm most concerned about, yes, I am concerned about your dying child. I care about that, yes. But I'm concerned most about you being right with me. About, I'm the Messiah. You should come to me for what I'm doing, for what I'm saying, for my word. And the next thing we see about faith is that faith persists when Jesus rebukes. Look at the man's response. God, I'm not gonna lie. Me, the dad with critical condition, Jesus says that to me. Am I staying, right? Are you staying? Look what the man does. He says, sir, Come down before my child dies. He persists. And I think, I think what he's saying, I think what he's saying, Jesus, you're right about me. <laughs> you're completely right. I came here for my son. I'm not really about this Messiah thing, but I'm willing to stay. I'm willing to hear this first word you've spoken to me, this really hard word that gets in my face. I'm not gonna leave when you rebuke. And then at the very heart of our passage, Jesus gives the guy, I think it's three words in the original language, Go, your son will live. And the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. Notice that what this man has to do is the opposite of living by sight. He has to turn around, walk away from Jesus with no assurance that Jesus is going to say, do what he said he would do. He has to trust Jesus isn't going to go with him. He's not going to come to the bedside and heal his son. He just has to trust a word. He gets a word from Jesus. That's it. And he responds by doing exactly what Jesus says, by believing the word and by walking away. And that is John's picture for us of what faith is, even what saving faith is. Um, to put it this way, living by faith is staking your whole life on a word from Jesus. There's an old Russian proverb that says, one word of truth will outweigh the whole world. Faith is letting one word from Jesus outweigh your whole world. I just wanna speak to, uh, for a moment, to those of you who are gathered here, and you're not really sure about Jesus or Maybe you've been raised in this church or you're just visiting and you're starting to recognize that your entire religious and spiritual life is a life lived by sight. 
you look inside and think you're doing okay, you think God's pleased with that, you, you, you see some beliefs that seem sensible to you, and you're like, okay, I agree with that, and you're recognizing that's actually not what God requires of us, um, here's what I want to say to you. This same Jesus, what he says in these words to this man is, I bring the dead to life. I have power to save, to give you the real thing, to give you life. That's why he came. Jesus did not come and live as a perfect man and die on the cross to make us moral people, to give us stuff to believe. He came to bring the dead to life. And he is willing this morning to do that for you in the middle of your cold, dead religion, in the middle of your doubts. And the requirement to have life is really simple. You take Jesus at his word. When he says something like, whoever believes in me, I will never cast away. You trust that. You rest your life on it. When he rebukes you for the way you've lived, you persist, you stay. Saving faith in Jesus is more, much more than belief in the right doctrines. Belief in the right doctrines is essential, but faith is much more than that. It's, it's kind of like a trust fall. Now we don't do trust falls anymore because we do social distancing now, right? But back in the day, uh, when we do team building things, some people, you've done this before, you do trust fall. And what it is is someone stands up like on this platform and they turn their back to five or six people who their team and they fall back into their arms. And the whole idea is, you don't look back, they catch me or I get a concussion. That's the whole, that's the whole idea. There's, there's some risk involved. There's always risk involved in trust, right? Uh, saving faith is, a, is the kind of trust fall that you take with Jesus that has eternal consequences. You know, uh, Buster shares a lot about William Carey's gravestone, which famously says, a wretched, poor, and helpless worm on thy kind arms I fall. And I think, I think we, we, we get and talk about the wretched, poor, and helpless worm part a good bit about our sin. But notice Carrie's definition of faith. It's falling into the arms of Jesus. That's what faith is. Trustful with eternal consequences. One time uh, I was part of a trust fall that didn't go well. Uh, I was a brand new Christian working at a Christian sports camp one summer as a counselor. And we had a group of uh, elementary and middle school kids in our cabin. And one of the things they would do on day like, I'm not sure what day it was, but during the course of the camp was everybody in the cabin would do a trust fall and you'd start with the counselors. So I did a trust fall with middle schoolers catching me. It was indeed a test of my faith. Just kidding. Um, anyways, um, the kids do great for the most part. But then we get this one kid, and he was this really sweet, well-behaved kid. Never had an issue with him, but it was, it was clear just from our interactions, he had kind of a tough background. Anyways, he gets on the pole, and uh, he, start, he starts letting loose what I have learned is the bloody murder scream. Like, there's actually nothing wrong, but it sounds like his fingers are being cut off one by one. Like, my kids, the, kid, the, the kind of screams that your children only give to your parents, right? Like the, like the who has possessed my child scream. And he just won't stop. And there's nothing we can do. And, and so we just give up. Like, we're like, I'm not, I'm not going to re-traumatize anyone. Like, we just, just get off the pole. Like, it's fine. Um, and I think for those of us who are believers here, who've trusted Christ, who rest upon him for eternity, I think it's important to recognize that we are so comfortable, perhaps, in placing our eternity in Jesus' hands. And yet, when it comes to taking even the littlest 
fall of trust in our practical, tangible, day-to-day lives, most of us are standing on the top of the pole screaming. And the Lord Jesus uh, in 2021 is not asking spiritual heroics of us. He's not asking us jump on the self-improvement via discipline plan that many people will do in the new year. But what his will is that the, the tangible picture of our lives demonstrates our invisible faith. That our lives look like a trust fall. That dependence and reliance are necessary that you live in such a way that if Jesus does not provide and catch and help, you will not make it. That's his will for us this year. I think it's really important to get concrete and specific when we talk about application. And so I'll just give you two questions to help you think through maybe applying this. Uh, first, where in your life is God calling you to thank him for the fleas? What's your thing? What has brought you to the edge? What are you groaning over, losing sleep over? Can't imagine this could ever in any conceivable way be good. You say to yourself, I can't have joy when this is going on. What's that in your life? Can't you take it by faith? Like Romans 8.28 says, God works everything together for the good of those who love him, because those that he predestined, he also called to be conformed to the image of his son. That, that thing for you, that causes you to weep, if you don't see anything else, what you will see is it will make you like Jesus. It will make you satisfied in God's presence. Can't you trust that and rest? God promises that to you. Second, what does a trust fall look like for you in 2021? What is a risky step of obedience for you? You know, I, have, <laughs> I had someone walk up to me after the first service and said, Leland, I feel kind of guilty that like, I don't have any fleas in my life. Life is sweet right now. And again, some of you might be in a great place. The holidays were great. And I would just say, if that's you, think about this one, okay? Where is God calling you to trust him radically, to take a risky step of obedience? The kind where if he does not meet you in it, you're not gonna make it. I know some of you, you feel God leading you to give something up, to take on something hard, to, to move your life in a direction that follows Jesus. And you just, you've been putting the brakes on. Trust him. You know God promises in Matthew 28, the Great Commission, maybe the scariest command ever, go to all the nations and make disciples. Jesus promises, I will be with you always. If you're hesitating about obedience, it's risky, focus on the fact that God promises. He assures you that the greatest gift of all, his presence goes with you into the dark. I began our time together telling a story about Corey Ten Boom uh, going over the edge about the fleas and her sister making her thank God for the fleas. It's crazy. Um, after that crazy seeming prayer, God does some crazy seeming things. Corey had smuggled a Bible into Ravensbrook somehow 
And it turns out that those hundreds of women, they were cram-packed like sardines in this barracks, all had soft hearts after all they'd suffered. And so Corey and Bessie would whip out their smuggled-in Bible illegally on the threat of maybe death or punishment, right? And they would read the scriptures. And it was so crazy because there's so many languages in the room. Uh, they'd, they'd read the Dutch, translate to German, the German girls would translate in French, and it was just all these languages. Corey reflects on just the nations and tongues speaking about Jesus in this concentration camp. And the craziest thing of all, they had complete freedom. A guard never darkened the door of their barracks. They were terrified the guards would come in, break it up, take the Bible, all this thing never happened. They had total freedom. And uh, Corey comes back from work one day. Her sister Betsy was in the barracks because she had gotten so sick by this point. And she finds Betsy, as Corey puts it, looking extremely pleased with herself. And she starts asking Betsy what happened. And Betsy says, this day at work, I was in the barracks and there was some kind of thing that we needed a supervising guard to come help with. And they refused to enter the barracks because of the fleas. No guard darkened the door of Corey and Betsy's barracks um, because of the fleas. Corey and Betsy had the freedom to experience the glory of God in the scriptures and to minister to these women in the most horrific of places because of the fleas. Thank God for the fleas. And that story goes to show you, however it might happen, that those who live by faith will have sight. They will see God working. If you, if you live by sight, if you base your Christian life on sight, you get nothing. You might even walk away from Jesus. But if you live by faith, you get sight. Look at what happens to the guy in our passage. He believes the word that Jesus spoke to him goes on his way. Verse 51, as he was going down, as he's obeying Jesus, he meets his servants and they tell him his son was recovering. This word recovering is the exact same word that Jesus spoke to him, your son lives. It's the same exact word, okay? So exactly what Jesus said happened has happened. And then the man investigates it and he, he asks them exactly what time the son was healed and they tell him, it was at the, I think the, uh, the seventh hour. Um, and he knows that's exactly the moment Jesus spoke those words. The guy investigates what's happened and he recognizes that Jesus is doing exactly what he said he would do. He gets sight. And then crazy enough, he doesn't just get sight, he gets more faith. Look what it says, the father knew it was the hour Jesus said your son will live and he himself believed, his faith grows I think, and all his household, his faith expands. Do you see that? His faith becomes this infectious thing, his family gets it. And if you have a question, like, how do I have great faith? How do I have the kind of faith that is infectious, that other people get? The answer is real simple. Take one tiny little bit of faith that might very well be with Jesus for the wrong reasons and live by it. Live by a little seed of faith and you will get sight and then you will get more faith. Your tiny little bit of faith becomes this avalanche of faith, this exponential growth in the lives of people around you. And now, I just wanna speak for a second. Um, There's some of you here today and you've got a thing and it is devastating. And you're saying, Leland, like, 
I don't think these fleas are going to tangibly provide or protect from me. You've got a situation that you just, it's just dark. What am I going to see? And even if you don't see God show up in the way you wish he would, like again, I think Corey might have preferred that the fleas all die, right? That the, that the bedding not be so rancid. That's what she, what she would have wanted. She didn't see that. But what she saw was God using her and filling her with the spirit and making her like Jesus. And if you live by faith, God promises that even if you don't see those things you want to happen, you will see that. You will experience his presence. You will see him making you more like Jesus. You will have more of him. So John's painted the picture this morning. And this picture has the Lord Jesus, whose invisible word has the power to bring life out of death. And who promises to meet his people if they will live by faith. Church, if you're struggling to live by faith, I think one thing that might be helpful would be to reflect on this past year. In the midst of all of your ups and downs and the roller coaster that has been your life, in the midst of all of your doubts, all of your anxieties, all of your disobedience, hasn't the Lord Jesus been faithful to you? Hasn't he shown up? Have you, have you actually truly been left? Are you truly without right now? No, he's provided. He's met you. Even when you weren't really living by faith. And how much more, if you will take him at his word this year and take a step towards resting over that thing that is driving you crazy, and towards walking into an unknown area with Jesus, if you will take a step towards that, how much more will he meet you? The same Jesus in this passage, who's been faithful to us in 2020, he will be with us whatever 2021 might hold. And church, if this last year has taught me anything, it has taught me that I have no control over my life and I have no control of what happens. Um, None of us could have predicted this year. None of us could predict it sitting in a worship service in masks. It's crazy to think of. We cannot control the future. We have no idea what 2021 holds. It can contain anything. Lord willing, might be a great comeback. Most likely, it'll be a mixed bag. Maybe it's our worst fears. We don't know. We can't know. We can't control it. But there is one thing you can do no matter what this year holds. And that is to live by faith and to walk by faith. And you can see God and experience him show up in your life, whatever this year holds. Church, let's live by faith in 2021. I'll pray. Indeed, Lord Jesus, you have been so good to us. As I just think of my own heart and everything I've thought and experienced and felt this year, it amazes me that you're still faithful. And I just, I just plead that we could look at what you have said and even, even what you've done, but, but what you've said um, and just live as if it really were true and to stake our lives on it and to rest our hearts and souls on it. Do that in us this year. If you're gonna do anything else, Lord, I just pray, um, do that, make us like Christ, help us trust you. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.